Voyages of Pim Better Podcast. Hey, everybody. Happy holidays. Depending on when you're listening to this, maybe Happy New Year. It's strange to me to think of a year in terms of successes and failures, like this chunk of time. And what I mean by that is I see a lot of people who are writing like, oh, 2016 was awful, can't wait for 2017, it's going to be a new year, a new me. And, you know, obviously people set resolutions and things like that. I guess what a lot of people are referring to are, you know, the things that are going on around the world and probably the recent presidential election in the U.S., which, hate to tell you, isn't really going to change in 2017. But if I had to look at the year as like this linear chunk of time in which I can measure my success or my failures, well, then I think I had a pretty successful year. I had a great time over the last two, two and a half months doing this podcast, and I really, really, really look forward to having a lot more cool people come on here and um, you know having some great conversations. I've made a whole bunch of connections for... Uh, I guess January into February. So I'm really looking forward to having those podcasts recorded for you. And um, to the people who are listening, again, it's a small podcast, but I can see from my data that I have people listening in Switzerland, in Abu Dhabi, in Germany, uh, Brazil, Vietnam. So hey, I see you people and thanks. This has been really fun so far and I look forward to having you along for the rest of this ride. Today I do a solo podcast, which again, are a lot harder than having a conversation with someone. I'm far more critical of myself when I'm trying to record it alone. But today is about Saigon, which is one of my favorite places in the world. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to share those experiences with you. And then I'm going to take a little bit of a break from talking about Southeast Asia. I'm not sure if you're getting sick of it, but I'm uh, going to have some different stuff on here. So again, thank you to everybody. Have a great new year. I hope that you know it's successful for you and that you get to have a lot of accomplishments and achievements in this new year. All right, Brian, cue up that music. After leaving the rooftop at Glow, I followed Sam down side streets and back alleys, allowing her to lead me to one culinary misstep after another. Raw vegetables dipped in a scorching chili sauce. Beers from mugs with ice shoveled out of a street-side cooler. Grizzly chicken bits, which she lovingly called chicken elbows. And finally, slurping down buttery snails. The fact that Sam mostly watched as Kevin and I ate while not touching her food herself, was somewhat concerning. But the star of the night wasn't the food on our plates, it was the domestic dispute taking place in the street as motorbikes whizzed by. Sam translated the dialogue, letting us know that a woman was angry at her husband for cheating on her. As we watched the quarrel go down, the woman raised a clay flower pot over her head, screamed, and thrust it down onto her husband's skull, sending dirt and debris flying, as he staggered to the curb, begging for help. I wrote these words down after spending what turns out to be a pretty typical night for me in Saigon. 
I don't have any crazy stories. There were no Cobra Hearts. There was no Muay Thai. For me, Saigon kind of exists in these in these moments, or maybe these these vignettes is a better way of saying it. Where when I think back, I remember certain pivotal events that took place. And so today as I talk to you about Saigon, I'm hopefully going to recall some of those times. Now, the name of the city is Ho Chi Minh City. Obviously, pre-war it was Saigon. The name changed in 1976 and is obviously uh, an homage to uh, the leader, Ho Chi Minh. The airport is Tan San Nat. I've flown into and out of Tan San Nat, I, I think, five times at this point. And when you first fly from the U.S., it's about 15 hours. Uh, one time I flew into Taiwan. One time I flew into Guangzhou, China. For both of those, I believe it was about 15 hours, then a layover, and then another three hours to get, or three, three and a half hours to get to Saigon. After almost 24 hours of travel, the first thing I need, need, need to do is go and get a bowl of pho. I'm sure you know what this is. It's probably the most popular Vietnamese dish that you can get in America. But it's a steaming hot bowl of noodles in a beef broth with either beef or chicken in it. Now, I talked about this in Hanoi. It's a little bit different in the South. I believe that in the South, folks say that it's sweeter. You get more herbs. The dining's a little bit different. I think I mentioned in Hanoi where you kind of ball up all of your trash at the end of the meal and just throw it on the floor. Uh, in reading Graham Holiday's book, Eating Vietnam, I believe that it used to be like this in the South too before it started to modernize a lot. The place I love to go I don't know the name of it. I just know how to get there. And I know that I have to get the pho bo ko. It is in more of a, a red tomatoey type of broth. And it either has, the place where I get it, either has cinnamon or nutmeg in it. Oh my God, it's absolutely amazing. It has to, has to, has to be the first thing I get. Even if I've just flown somewhere else in Southeast Asia or taken a trip out of Saigon into another part of Vietnam, the first thing I have to get when I get back, is the football call. Now, I mentioned in a previous episode that some of the, the streets that are more of the hustle and bustle, touristy types of streets, I don't really like. So the Khao San Road to Bangkok, Thailand, its equivalent in Ho Chi Minh City is Bui Vien, uh, Duong Bui Vien, Bui Vien Street. Now, I will say that there are certain things that I don't quite like about it. Mainly like the college-aged kid type of pub crawl things that go on. Uh, even in going there one year after I had initially gone, there were more of the... Sorry, that's a horrible beatbox. But more of the, the clubby type of music going on, which is really not my style and not my speed. But one of my favorite things to do in Vietnam is to sit on the street... Get, a, get an ice-cold uh, tiger beer or a Saigon green. When one of the street vendors comes by, get boiled peanuts and get these hard-boiled quail eggs. When you get those, they give you this packet. 
in, wrapped in newspaper of salt and pepper, super, super salty. And you just sit there on the street. You watch the craziness in the chaos of the stumbling tourists, the vendors. You've got your ice cold beer, your perfect accompanying beer food, the peanuts and the eggs. And you just hang out. I love, 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 love to do this. The very last night that I did this with my buddy Kevin, we met a gentleman from Scotland, I believe, covered head to toe in tattoos. He's there with his daughter telling us stories of his travels all throughout Asia. It's perfect to me. One time when I was there, um, there was a girl who we had met in Hanoi, and then randomly she walked up on us on Bouyvian Street. So again, I don't like to spend a ton of time there, it is really touristy and feels a little, I guess, a little less authentic, but you need to go. It's it's a really fun time to go and, and spend a night there, spend a couple nights there before you move on. Just a short walk from Bouyvian is a park. And at nighttime, there are a lot of college students that go to this park. I don't know the name of it. I've never known the name of it, but it's right between Bouyvian and Lei Lai. And at night, there's all these vendors selling really cheap food along the perimeter of the park. And most of it, I didn't know the names of, but you could get a plastic bag full of glass noodles and hard-boiled eggs and spices, and it's absolutely amazing. In this park, you'll see a lot of younger people playing this game where it's kind of like, like almost like long-distance hacky sack with like a badminton shuttlecock. I believe that the Vietnamese call it Da Long, um, and I also think that the game originated in China. But students will play this, and I've gone to this park a few times. I've gone alone, and I've gone with my, my buddy Tim, the big dog. And every time I go, students will come up to you and just make conversation, and they'll say, hey, is it okay if I sit next to you? Is it okay if we talk? And what most of them want to do is they want to practice their English. And I've had some absolutely amazing conversations that beat any crazy night I've ever spent traveling anywhere. Um, I absolutely love going to this park and I'm going to continue to go back. The first time I went, Tim and I met a, a ton of college students. And they wanted to just, like I said, just talk to us. And so as we would talk, sometimes they would ask us a word or they would write down different things from our conversation, and they want to know about life in America. They want to know about American politics. And it's the same thing here. I want to know what's going on in their lives. I want to know what college is like. I want to know what school is like. I want to know what it's like under their government. And it's these amazing bonding moments that has happened um, just by going to this park. Tim and I met one of our friends, um, Liam, in this park. And for the next two days, he took us all around Saigon. He took us down back streets to get amazing kom tam, amazing pho, amazing banh mi. We even did just some, he was a lot younger than us, but we did some normal kid things. Like we, we went to a coffee shop and we sat and we got some, some cafe. We went bowling with him. We went to a mall, which... I mean, it doesn't sound like the sexiest thing to do when you're traveling, but it was just really cool to kind of experience his life on the day-to-day. He took us to get uh, these amazing fruit shakes. 
He tried to convince us to eat balut, which is the fertilized duck egg that I think is very popular in Indonesia and the Philippines. And he also tried to trick us into into eating dog, which I'm going to get back to in a little bit. The other sort of vignette or, or moment that was really important to me from going to this park was I went alone one night and a girl had sat next to me and same thing, she just wanted to talk and she wanted to talk about school. And she told me that she's studying a number of different languages in college right now and that she's studying German. Now, I know German conversationally, I'm not super great at it, but I know enough to kind of carry me through, you know, basic introductions and like hobbies and things like that. So I'm sitting in this park in Saigon on the other side of the world talking to a Vietnamese woman, young woman, in German, in the German tongue, where it's, I don't know, maybe it sounds corny and cheesy to me, but it was just this amazing, beautiful moment that we shared where we're we're talking in a common European tongue. She's Asian, I'm American, and I got to know her that way. And she really opened up and told me about how tough it is to be a kid whose parents are poor farmers and she's just trying to make it through college and she doesn't have a whole ton of money. I mean, there were some similarities with uh, people I know here in America, but that was a really special moment to me. And um, I really, really, really love going to that park. So I want to revisit the dog thing because at least when I was growing up, um, and I guess people still say stuff like this, uh, sort of this kind of nasty, pretty racist way of making fun of people from China or Chinese food here in America was like, oh, that food's got cat in it. The meat that you're eating is cat. And I've heard that too, um, used in a real negative context uh, with dog for Vietnam and other places in Asia. And yeah, that's a nasty thing to do to kind of uh, create this caricature of a culture and say like, oh, you, you eat what people have as pets and things like that. But you can find dog in Saigon. If you know the different places to go, there are markets that have it. It's not something that I, w- I wanted to try at all. Again, uh, Liam tried to get us to eat it, but I didn't want to. But my friend Sam, who is probably going to come up a few times in this podcast, her parents are coffee farmers, and she grew up really poor. Uh, at least, I mean, it would be poor in the American context, but also poor for Vietnam. They don't have a whole lot. And she showed me her house and, you know, it's really quite small and it is on a farm. Now, she told me that it was pretty tough getting meat sometimes, where if you had chickens, you would end up eating those chickens. But she also mentioned that, yeah, there were times where her dad would bring home dog or which she would sometimes, she she told me that people would often refer to like the rats in fields or rats on, on farmland as, as field mice. And also uh, a friend of Kevin and I's uh, named Kim, she also said that even now when she's gone to some homes of people who live in the, the rural countryside, they'll prepare a meal with these field mice, these rats. 
And I just thought that was real interesting having this conversation with Sam where it was real normal and she wasn't ashamed of it and she kind of made light and a joke out of it as well. She told me how some of the older folks, um, some of the older men who are friends with their dads, like they'll still go out and eat dog. But for a lot of the younger people who now live in cities, because a lot of kids go to Saigon to get an education in a college while their family still lives out in the country, they won't eat dog, right? But um, there's also this sort of interesting balance between the modernization happening in Saigon with McDonald's and KFC and Starbucks and things like that with like really honoring traditional foods that your parents made and that's sort of like the street food that you'll get at night um, or throughout the day too. But it was just really interesting to have her talk to me about how prevalent that was and how how normal it was for people who live in the country and how it wasn't something that she was ashamed of. She did tell me though that the family ate their pet cat and that now she feels like the cat is kind of haunting her (laughs) because it was staring at her before her dad killed it. So I thought that was pretty funny. But again, like it, I've talked to people here in America and they're like, oh, you went to Vietnam and do people eat dog? Oh. And it's, it's, it's kind of a dumb thing to say. But um, yeah, it does, uh, it does happen. One of the cool things to do in Vietnam is go to these uh, in Saigon is go to these rooftop bars. There are a number of them in Saigon. The Caravel, which is attached to a hotel, is one of the more famous ones. Glow Bar, which I mentioned just very briefly in that opening story, um, is another rooftop bar. And there are a few hotels and things like that that have them. They're more expensive than going somewhere out on the street, but it's a whole lot of fun. You get great views of the city. You can see a lot of the construction that's taking place the Vietnamese government has some sort of a business partnership with Japan and they are building a high-speed rail through Saigon. So I don't know. I think this is really going to change things. I think that um, it's also going to force more of the street vendors off of the street. So I don't quite know how to feel about that. But uh, back to the rooftop bars, they afford really cool views and it's something that you should definitely check out uh, at least once. One of the most powerful memories that I have of Saigon is the War Remnants Museum. This is a museum that is dedicated to showing all sorts of information about the Vietnamese, uh, the Vietnam War with the United States and the conflicts and wars in Indochina leading up to that. And there's an entire floor dedicated to images of children born with birth defects due to Agent Orange and just images of people who had been wading through the Agent Orange and walking through it in the jungles. And it is absolutely, I mean, it's horror. It, it's absolute horror. It's, it's, it's terrifying. It, it's, it's something that, I don't know, it, it looks like images out of a movie. And everyone on that floor is just totally silent and somber. I can remember looking at my buddy Tim and both of us, we had tears in our eyes. It's, it's the most powerful thing I think I've ever seen and experienced. Now, despite showing all this, the, the tone that you get from the museum in reading like the placards and the information is that 
a lot of Vietnamese people, and even at that time, they didn't really blame the American populace. They didn't necessarily blame the American soldiers that were there either, but they were blaming the American government and the decision makers and the people sending, you know, young men and women off to war. And I think that's really, that's really important because a lot of people ask me when I go to Vietnam or are people friendly to Americans, you know, their, their own sole context for Vietnam is the Vietnam War. But everyone I've ever met has been incredibly friendly to me. And they want to talk about it. And they want to ask your perspective on things. And they want to say, what did you think of the war? What do you think of your government? And I'll ask right back, what do you think? And most people want to put it past them, even though the shadow of it still looms. I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. But again, everyone I've ever met has just been really, really friendly. And they'll even ask, you know, what do you think about Trump? What do you think about your government in or your country's involvement in the Middle East? And it's amazing to have those conversations and to see that, you know, they're paying attention. And as I guess anywhere outside of America, you'd have to be paying attention to what America's doing because it influences so many things in the world. Now, when I say that the shadow of the war is constantly looming, I say that because there are people that I've met who were alive at that time in Vietnam and they are disfigured from the war or they have shrapnel that's still in their body or they're begging on the streets, which is a lot of people. Or there are people born a few generations after the war that are being born with birth defects, even though the parent or the grandparent didn't have any birth defects. Because at least far as far as what I've been reading, the effects of some of these chemical weapons take a few years or a few generations rather to show up. And then of course, there are a few different museums that you can go to that remind you of the Vietnam War and, and the United States' involvement. But it always, to me, kind of felt like while the country's moving past it, it's still looming a bit. And again, I say all these things as like a white American male, right? So this is just solely my perspective as someone who's not Vietnamese, someone that is just just loves the country, but please understand my lens is still what my lens is, right? There are a number of cool trips that you can take from Saigon. One of these is to the mouth of the Mekong to the town of Ben Tre. And it was here that we took a canoe through a tributary of the Mekong, and that was really awesome. They took us to a local village, and I guess this is kind of touristy and built up, but they show you how they cultivate honey. You can buy some honey to bring home, which I did. And then you have a, air quotes, traditional meal, which was a snakefish, which looks like, a, I'll throw a picture up on the Instagram, but it looks like this crazy demon fish. Another trip that you can take out of Saigon is the Coochie Tunnels. Now, during the war, you may know that there was this elaborate system of tunnels and almost like rooms underground 
where Vietnamese soldiers would hide. And some of these had trap doors with spikes, um, but some of them were just like little holding areas or a way to cut from one area to another but underground. And these still exist, and you can go see them. And you can actually go in some of them. And so if you're claustrophobic or you're a really large person, you might want to think twice. But when my friend Tim had gone down into one of the tunnels, they closed the door and uh, the metal door on top of him, and they stood on top of him, which (laughs) I'm glad that wasn't me because that's absolutely terrifying. And another trip that you can take out of Saigon is to Vong Tau. Vung Tau is one of the closest beach areas that you can get to and you don't have to fly. We took a boat and it was my buddy Kevin and uh, two of our friends from Vietnam. And I think we spent three days down there. It's a cool trip, I guess, to do once. Uh, I've heard that it's uh, not as nice as like Da Nang or uh, Nha Trang in terms of like beach areas, but it was cool to go to. The beach was pretty dirty and uh, it's cool though when the tide goes all the way out, you can walk really, really far and look up at the moon, which is cool, but you have to watch out for all the trash that's in the water. There's also like, I guess, not not an amusement park, but there's this sort of resorty type of thing that I guess people go to. Um, I'm trying to think of the equivalent, maybe like an Atlantic City type of a thing. So I think most of the people that go there are Vietnamese tourists, you know, that are traveling down south. But they have this um, kind of sky bucket thing that you can do down a mountain. We didn't do that, but um, Phuong Tao was okay. Not my favorite. Another vignette of Saigon that I have comes when Kevin and I were searching out Snail Street one night. Now I know now... By now, this podcast is kind of more of my stream of consciousness than something ordered or orderly, but I'm doing my best here, people. Now, Snail Street is in District 3, and it has, yep, you guessed it, snails. Kevin and I went there one night, not realizing that all of the snail vendors and other food stalls and things like that closed down about the time that we had got there. We got there a little bit after closing time. So there was really nothing along the streets that we were walking around until we came up to this guy who had a big wok and it looked like he was frying up eggs and cut up brown potatoes, almost like a like a hash brown type of a thing, like eggs and hash browns. And we were like, oh, well, hey, that looks really good. Now we walked up to him and he didn't understand any English. And there's another guy with him and he was kind of just laughing at us. So eventually another guy comes over and we're we're pointing. We're just like, well, we want that. We want that. So he understood that at least and they fried us up two plates of this stuff. Now I'm eating it and yeah, it's eggs and what I'm thinking are potatoes. But immediately I'm starting to feel just really heavy. And after a while I look down at my plate and I go, Kevin, these are not potatoes. This is just straight bat. So what it was was eggs that were fried up with cubes of white pork fat. Needless to say, the very next day was no fun at all. There was a night that Liam took me to his favorite pho shop. And I think, honestly, it was one of my favorites that I had in Vietnam as well. I don't know the name of it. Again, it was one of these places that just kind of said pho out front. 
But we walked for what felt like the length of an entire district to get to this pho shop, and it was well worth it. Afterwards, I wanted to buy some flowers as a going away gift of sorts for my friend Sam. Now, Liam didn't know of any place to get flowers at night, but we were walking for a bit, asking some people, and eventually somebody said, oh, you know, turn left, then turn right, and you'll come up on to a place. So we did find the florist, and I walked in, and they spoke some English. Of course, Liam was talking to them uh, in Vietnamese and kind of looking at me and laughing. But I asked them if they could put together a bouquet. And at first they were really confused, but uh, they understood what I wanted after a little bit, and they went to a back room, and they spent some time putting this together. Now, one of the women that worked in this uh, florist she was asking me all sorts of questions like, oh, why are you buying these? What are you doing? Where are you going? And uh, I answered all of them. But the very next day when we were looking up the name of the shop that we had gone to on Google or whatever, we saw that they had made a Facebook post and it had my picture in it, which they had apparently taken when I was there. And it said, young American man finds young Vietnamese bride and gets married in Saigon, which was totally not the truth. I'm not married. Uh, the flowers were just a gift for my friend, but I thought that was a pretty funny story. The story is from when the big dog and I went out for some bun sha, which, side note, is way better in the north, but that's neither here nor there. There were four guys at the restaurant that were sitting next to us, and I believe they were from England, and they were trying to buy a motorbike. So these guys were walking out on the street, talking to a couple sellers, and they were trying to negotiate. So the Vietnamese people that they were talking to were joking, and they were laughing at them and talking in Vietnamese about them to each other, and probably making fun of them. But these four guys were each trying to get a bike so that they could go drive all the way up the coast and go to Hanoi. Now, it seemed like these guys were old friends. They were talking about nights that they had gone out and done these crazy things, and they were telling us stories. But after a while, one of them mentioned that they had only met a month ago, that these four guys were all solo travelers. They had been all throughout Southeast Asia by themselves, and they just, by chance, all met up in Saigon, and they all had the same goal of learning how to ride a motorbike right there and driving up the coast to Hanoi. So there are these European guys, us two Americans, and the Vietnamese people that we were interacting with, all existing in this one moment in time. And to me, that kind of exemplifies what Saigon means to me. It's these fun, interesting people that you meet and these interactions that you get to have that even though I live in a very culturally diverse city, you know, New York City, I don't have those things here. So that's what I want to end on with Saigon. Thanks again for listening. Please remember to like, to comment, to share, and to tell people about the podcast. Again, I greatly appreciate you people. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.